Hi, and welcome to MentorCore. If you're new here, we're a community focused on helping people in the security, risk, and compliance fields grow their careers and leadership skills through mentoring. You can find more information about MentorCore at mentorcore.biz. I'm Dan Ayala, along with Lisa Beth Lentini Walker. Now, on to this week's discussion. Well, welcome to another MentorCore. We are so excited this week to have Melanie Sponholtz with us. She is absolutely amazing. I'm going to give you a quick preview, but nobody can tell us better about who she is than she herself will. But she is currently the Chief Compliance Officer uh, for WCP Healthcare at Wad Capital Partners. So she has a lot of really interesting things to share with us. Also, she spends time and energy teaching students, which I have the heart of a teacher. And so this appeals to me like directly. But before I steal any more thunder, um, tell us a little bit about you and kind of what your background story is. Oh, sure. So, uh, yes, Lisa, Lisa Beth has been roped into my educational activities because I, I am currently teaching a class on the role of compliance in mergers and acquisitions for uh, Fordham University Law School that has a program in corporate compliance and masters. Um, and actually, one of my mentors, Ellen Hunt, is the one who connected me with Fordham. So right there is the connection. Um, but uh, so my day job, um, I work for Wad Capital Partners, which is a private equity firm based in Chicago, and I am their chief compliance officer over Wad Capital Healthcare. Um, I work with currently we have eight healthcare, I think, portfolio companies, and I run the whole gamut, which kind of connects to my Fordham class. I run the whole gamut of jumping in during the diligence phase of our platform acquisitions to give a compliance angle uh, and, and advice and scope the diligence on that end. And then through the life of the investment of our portfolio companies, I sometimes serve as an interim compliance officer when we first partner with them, because a lot of times in our lower middle market segment, you've got folks that have a lot of good compliance going on, but maybe not a, a full-fledged formal compliance program. But then I work to quickly help them staff internally and build their program internally. And then I stick around as a strategic resource for the lifetime of the company and help them uh, build their build hopefully best in class programs uh, and, and, you know, come to them in times of compliance need and, and give advice. And um, so I have a team now, I have a director of audit and revenue integrity on my team. I have another senior compliance director who, and privacy director who um, is our HIPAA expert. And, um, and I have a um, audit administrator who is also a coding and documentation expert um, who helps on that front. Um, and before all this happened, I actually went into healthcare as a physical therapist 20 years ago. So if you have lower back pain or a running injury, I'm still your girl uh, for good advice on that. Even if, covered, even if it's caused by the job of compliance for healthcare, you'll still help fix the back pain that comes with that? Um, maybe, although I might advise a martini instead of exercise yeah. for that. I, I don't know. <laughs> Definitely. Well, it's, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful scope, especially in the, in, you know, in the, in the private equity market. So before we get into the other stuff around mentoring, I just have a quick question because we know we have a lot of listeners who, who struggle with trying to get 
the correlation between the, the some of these cost center activities or what are seen as cost center activities like security and privacy and compliance and, and, and ethics in terms of how those affect valuation of companies mm -hmm. when people are looking at it for you know, either to be either looking at an exit or some kind of an acquisition or investment um, is are, are, are yes in the short in a short answer are you seeing that those activities are translating into better valuation or lack of activity is translating into lower valuation yeah I mean I, it's interesting because my my first experience with private equity I worked for a private equity owned company um, and and went through the whole life cycle there ended up at a much larger company via acquisition so I went through the whole process myself and and now I've done it you know countless times in this role advising people through it and you know I just think especially in healthcare with the consolidation going on in the healthcare market chances are you will go through a deal at some point and you need to be prepared from a compliance standpoint because you, unless you know what you never do ahead of time, who your likely buyer is, you don't know their risk appetite. So, you know, if you get anyone who is risk averse, they're going to dig into your compliance as part of the acquisition process. And it can certainly devalue your company if you're not prepared for that. I've seen deal structures change based on a lack of compliance. So, you know, everyone wants a stock uh, deal and it goes asset because nobody wants the liabilities associated with what may have been a compliance issue. And I think that the tough part for compliance professionals is that most of the early diligence is focused on the financials, you know, and understandably, but then, you know, you get to the point where everyone's invested a lot of time and energy and money into the diligence process and everyone wants this deal to happen. And then they look at the compliance and you don't want to be the problem at the 12th hour. You don't want to be the reason that the, you know, they lose a turn on their value because of, of a compliance issue. So I think helping executive teams understand that really does elevate the value of what you're, you're doing because you, you don't, you know, you don't want to be, you know, that the home inspection that ends up, you know, asking for a lot of, uh, you know, money off the sales price, you know. Right. No, excellent. Thanks. So let's, let's turn that back into where we, where we normally go with the questions, uh, which is just, uh, you know, the, you chronicled some of your, you know, your path, especially from, you know, from actual healthcare, from practitioner healthcare to, supporting healthcare to the compliance of healthcare. Tell us a little bit about that journey and, and, and how you made some of the decisions that got you to where you are. Tell us a little bit about your backstory. Well, I always joke, I always call it the great Plinko game of life. I don't know if you're old <laughs> enough to have watched, you know, the prices, right. But I feel like, you know, you kind of drop your chip in and you think it's going to land in this slot, but somehow you ended up on stage left. You know, so, um, so I, yeah, I, uh, I actually started after college in publishing. So I was working for Random House and I was volunteering for a hospital in New York City. And I enjoyed that a lot more than my day job. And I think it was from the interaction, you know, it, as an editor, you could spend a lot of time with a manuscript. And I really enjoyed interacting with people and feeling like I was helping people. So I went back to school and that's how I ended up in physical therapy. Um, and I, I practiced for a number of years. I was a geriatric specialist, which I was near and dear to my heart. And I still miss that portion of what I did because I really enjoyed that. Um, but I 
ended up first in an operational role. And so I was managing physical therapists and occupational therapists doing home health. And I really didn't feel the same I'm helping connection when I was managing productivity. Um, so it, it's not that I didn't enjoy my clinicians and, you know, at the end of the day, we're still delivering care, but I didn't have the same connection to that role. And so uh, the opportunity arose to become the director of quality assurance for that company. And I moved into that role and that felt much more organic to me. And I was you know, doing a lot of professional development activities for them and QA activities for them. So that was the next Plinko drop. Then because we were geriatric focused, we got hit with it. We were all Medicare, got hit with a giant zone program integrity contractor audit. And the attorneys we were working with said, you need to have a compliance program. And they said, well, Melanie will do it. <laughs> And so I got voluntold <laughs> compliance field. And, you know, I, I actually really connected with that too. And I, I think it was because I felt that I could bring value with my experience across the rest of the organizational dynamic and bring that knowledge to the compliance role so that when I was asking operations to do something or, um, you know, looking at, you know, operators that were trying to make their numbers and I needed them to change how they were doing something that I, <laughs> well, bless you, bless you. <laughs> that I could help, I could help them and understand them from their perspective. And I've tried to keep that perspective as I've moved through my compliance career. And, um, and I still feel like I'm helping people because now, now I still see the end product, which is usually healthcare in my case, which is valuable and that I see the connection between quality and compliance. And I feel like, you know, helping everyone create a better, more ethical, compliant environment is helping eventually deliver good patient care. Um, so I, I, I don't know, I just, it just stuck. And I switched industries. I was in home infusion for a long time uh, before I ended up here at Watt. And now I work really across the gamut of a lot of different areas of healthcare, which is really interesting and I'm still enjoying it. So. Um, I don't know. It ended up being a good fit. So let me ask you, um, what are the types of qualities of people that go into PE from a compliance standpoint? Like, are is there something magical and different about pi private equity that people should know before they decide to go down that path? Well, I mean, I can only, I've had a very positive experience. So, you know, let me start by saying, saying I'm only speaking from my own experience, but I think that what appeals to me in this environment is that it's very fluid and fast paced. So, you know, whereas you might take on a compliance leadership role in a, you know, in another healthcare organization, you, you may have a more of a static environment where you have a pretty stable program that you, you know, of course, there's always, you know, this fire and that fire and compliance. So there's always some level of that. But when you are in a private equity backed company, largely because of the acquisitive nature of a lot of these companies, it's constant change. So you're built kind of building the plane in the air. So you're, you're trying to keep your program stable and effective, but you, you're doing that while integrating additional companies and trying to integrate cultures. And it's kind of, it's the same reason I liked focusing on neurological issues with my PT patients, because 
no patient is the same. You know, you could have three patients with the same diagnosis of a of a CVA, but they'd all present differently because there's differences in the brain and it's so complicated. And same thing with integrations. You know, you you've done one integration, you've done one integration to some extent. And so I think going into PE, you have to kind of have a personality that enjoys constant change and that, you know, likes that kind of, you know, having to get to know new teams and new executives and constant flux. If, if that sounds stressful to you, you know, cause some personalities that is not enjoyable, then don't, you will not enjoy it. <laughs> So I'm hearing slight adrenaline junkie tendencies with a constant learner kind yes. of system. Yeah, you will constantly <laughs> learn. You will constantly, I feel like I learn five years worth every year in this position, which I love. So most of the time. <laughs> That's fantastic. So what led you to decide that you wanted to pile teaching on top of all of the things that you were doing already. Well, I mean, I think it is connected back to that whole lifelong learner thing, because there's just a big piece of me that every September has this urge to go get some notebooks and a backpack, you know, like I just love school. There's and nothing stopping I, you from going to the store and buying those things. And I do. And I do. <laughs> I still am that I am like boomer tendencies, fully admit it, but I still keep all my notes in a notebook. Um, but I, I really enjoy that academic atmosphere. And I I actually, my, my job when I was in college and grad school was teaching for the Princeton Review. That's how I paid the bills back in those days. But I feel like you learn so much from teaching. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had no idea the effort that was going to go into building this class, but it has been so rewarding for me because I feel like I'm constantly learning and improving my own thought processes because it's making me think to explain it to someone else. I have to think through it on a different level. So it's been, that's why I took it on and it, I really enjoyed that. Phenomenal, phenomenal. Uh, that makes life really exciting when you can add in that element as well. Now, of course, you know, when I'm reading, you know, papers at 11 o'clock on a Saturday night, you know, there, I have my moments where I'm like, oh, teach a class, they said, it'll be rewarding, they said, <laughs> but, but, it, but it has, it has definitely been worthwhile. So. On the idea of, on the idea of balance, though, trying to find, you know, we, we spend a lot of time talking about mental health, about wellness here at, at, with MentorCore, especially in these fields, which are very taxing during the day. Um, how does, how does teaching play into that balance? Do you find that you're, that you are, um, uh, that you're, that they're conflicting with each other, that one is stressing you out over the other? Um, because how do they play into each other in, in, in keeping that balance? Well, I will say that when I, took on the, the, the role for Fordham. Um, I did not know that within a couple of months, I would also be asked to take on ESG for our firm. And so this has been a challenging four or five months uh, for me because I am definitely overextended. So I think just acknowledging to myself that you are overextended and, mm -hmm. you know, just I, trying to keep perspective and, you know, I, 
I tell myself, and I do believe that it's a high class problem because all of the things I'm doing are things I really want to be doing, but it right. doesn't help you when you're just tired sometimes. So um, what I've been trying to do is ask for more help, which I'm not always good at. So I have a great team and I'm not always the best delegator. Um, so this has been good for me in a way because it's kind of forced me to delegate and to you know bring my team in to help me with some things in more ways than I'm typically, you know, maybe more ways than I would normally tend to do that. But it's been healthy. And I think it's something that I will be able to continue doing, you know, after August when, you know, the Fordham class class wraps up the first week in August. And, but I've learned the value of that delegation and it forced, it was forcing me to do it that made me do it. So it was good in that respect. Um, I also, I have very, uh, I, I, carefully guard my morning routine. So no matter what is going on, I think you have to have certain spots that are inviolate. And so from the time I wake up until I have had my time to meditate and hopefully exercise a little bit, there's no email, there's no phone, you know, and as much as some days it's tempting, like I find myself thinking, oh, you have so much to do. Maybe tomorrow I should just get up early and go right to my desk. But then I remember, you know, the, the payoffs from those routines and that I will appreciate my mental and physical health long after this work crunch is over. So I think you have, I mean, and that's something I'm, I mean, I'm 51 years old now, 10 years ago, I would not have had the maturity and the life experience to do that. So I feel very proud of myself that I'm, <laughs> I'm sticking to my guns. As you should, it certainly beats the, you know, lay in bed, grab the phone and reply to email while still horizontal um, approach, which many people take. Yeah, and it's tempting, right? So There absolutely are pressures to do exactly that, to just say um, your needs need to be sublimated to the needs of the, or the large organization. You are a cog in this wheel, so get your cog self in. Um, and so I think, you know, establishing a, that it's important for you to have those boundaries and B that it's important for the people that are, you know, on your team around you, et cetera, to be able to say, Hey, this is, this is something that's really important because my physical health, my mental health, my family will be here long after this job is, is, is done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Hey, you know, they're definitely there are definitely um, compromises sometimes, you know, so, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, some days it has to be that you shorten your me time a little bit because realistically you're going to have a nervous breakdown if you don't check something off that list, you know, before 10 o'clock that morning, you know, so, you know, but I, I do think you just have to hang in there and see the long-term picture, you know, and because once you get off track, it's so much harder to refocus. So you just have to really try to believe in the investment of your time so that you protect it even when the pressure is really making you myopic and thinking that maybe you should do otherwise. So. Yeah. And one of the things that um, I, I think one of our prior guests mentioned is every time that you say yes to something, you are saying no to something else. And if that no is constantly your family or your health or whatever, then eventually like 
you don't have any more extra like savings in that like particular part of your account or whatever. And then it really starts, then, you know, disruptions really do become more and more impactful. You know, I saw there was a presentation at compliance week and now I feel bad because I wasn't thinking about this before. So I don't, I don't remember her name, but it was one of the keynote speakers and she was talking about, she had that, she had a grid. So four quadrant grid and in the upper right-hand quadrant is you at your, you know, most productive. And she was, and, and, and so on the other, you know, the upper left-hand is when you, you have that uh, overextension burnout where you're irritated and ticked off by everyone all day. And the lower, the lower left-hand is the burnout where you're just zero energy and depressed. And the lower right-hand is rest and recovery. And I loved the idea she gave of that you have to oscillate on the right. So if you have, you know, a week or three weeks of high productivity and high expectations, you need to allow yourself to oscillate equally into the rest and recovery. Because if you don't, that's when you end up on the left-hand side of the grid. And I, for me, it always looks like I'm not, I'm just a happy person. I'm wired that way, which I'm thankful for every day. So for me though, it does end up being the irritated, angry. Like, I don't, I don't get the low energy depressed, but when I have a day where I'm like, everyone is annoying. Why is everyone such an idiot today? I'm like, oh, you need to rest and recover, Melanie. <laughs> do you need a sandwich or do you need a nap? Yeah, you need a nap and like some time with your dog, you know? Yep. Yeah. No, that recovery is, is uh, I think in the last two and a half years, it's become even more apparent, at least to me, how much that recovery time is necessary and the impact it has because it's ab- being in one physical location all the time made it really clear the swings that I had in context. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a weird couple of years. Yeah. And I think that with so many people having, you know, hybrid situations, home used to be where people did have that kind of like sanctuary that sanctuary has been invaded and trampled on. And so now it's like, how do we establish what is that rest and recovery? What does that look like? Um, And it can't just be like, I'm going home because home has, you know, lost a little bit of that, you know, veneer of safety and, and rest. Well, it's kind of like they used to tell you don't do work in your bed because then you'll get insomnia because work is associated with bed well now it's like you work in your home (laughs) so it's like you it's hard to dissociate it's hard to say now i'm off the clock because you're in the same space well and it all you know from 1999 when i got that first blackberry um you know that was when the barrier broke down it was just it never was never was to go back in the last two and a half years just made it incrementally more apparent so when you were partying like it was 1999 (laughs) Yeah, I was, it was really like the I, was in, I was in IT, which meant I was on call. Right. <laughs> I mean, are you guys um, ever shocked when you get your statistics from your phone on your screen time? Does it ever blow your mind how many hours a week you're spending? I mean, I'm it doesn't, you don't even notice me. it. It's I'm waiting for it to tell me that I've been on there 27 hours a day average, you know, more <laughs> than there are hours of the day. But yes, it's it, it, mind blowing and then depressing at the same time. Yes. Like, well, I really should go outside more. <laughs> Yes. Well, we're kind of coming to the end of our time, um, even though we've had like an amazing conversation. Um, Dan, do you want to ask? Sure. Last. So, yeah. So all of our guests, we ask the same question. um, And we really want to know what the best advice is that you've ever received from a mentor, Melanie. 
So I think there are probably two and they're very different. So one is much more just functional advice, which I had a CEO that I worked for who had a, um, a, a productivity approach to an approach to productivity called getting things done. Um, I'm a and, big fan. Yeah. And so I am not, you know, by nature, super organized. So it was invaluable to me. I was blown away. Uh, it was Dan Greenleaf was my CEO. He's currently at Motive Care. So if you ever listen to this, Dan, shout out to you. Um, but he would have a zero inbox at the end of the day. Now I cannot claim that I have reached that level of Zen inbox management, but I am a lot better and I have a lot better system that gives me a lot more peace of mind that I'm not forgetting crucial things by just having an organization system that I follow. So that is, that was one great piece of advice. Um, and another one was just that if you wait until you're ready, you'll never do it. So, you know, I, I think there've been some studies that show that, um, that men will apply for a job when they feel 60% qualified for it, but women feel like they need to be, you know, almost hundred percent qualified before they put themselves forward for something. And, you know, I, I am, you know, I have those type A perfectionist tendencies where I don't feel like I'm good at something until I know that I really, really know it. Um, but someone was like, Hey, listen, you know, your 80% is, is good enough. Get out there and give it a shot and you're going to be successful at it. And it's helped me so much because I have learned and I mean, just the Plinko board, you know, just being willing to try some of these different jobs that, you know, I didn't even know what a compliance officer was when I got volunteered to be a compliance officer. And now I love it. And it's what turned out to be my career. And if I hadn't been willing to just go for it, it never would have happen. So I think that was the other great piece of advice. And that was actually my mom. Thanks, mom. Moms are good for that. <laughs> Parents yeah. are wonderful mentors. Can yes. be wonderful mentors. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being here, Melanie. And uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, can people find you anywhere? LinkedIn, Twitter, yes. anywhere else? Yep. I am not on Twitter. I will say I have not made that leap, but I am on LinkedIn. So please, you know, I'm always happy to network and answer questions and my network's been invaluable to me. So always want to pay it forward. So I hope people will, uh, will reach out. Great. We'll put the link to that in the show notes. And uh, thanks to you, the listener, for being here. Uh, we really appreciate you. We also love your feedback. So you can meet, reach us, info at mentorcore.biz with any questions, thoughts, or ideas for upcoming episodes. Uh, there's also a link on our website, mentorcore.biz, to our Slack community, where we're bringing together people that are part of, uh, that, that are part of the security, risk, compliance, ethics, governance communities, uh, just to try and help each other grow careers, grow experience, uh, and grow networks. Uh, thanks again, and we'll see you on the next MentorCore.